Hello and welcome to another edition of the Analysis Interview with Total Football Analysis. My name is David Seymour. This is a podcast where I sit down with different people within the football analysis industry and discuss what they do, the challenges that they face or that football faces, uh, where analysis is heading and anything else. Today, I'm joined by Crystal Palace analyst Robert Weaver, who also happens to be the author of a brilliant new book, Record Breakers, The Tactics Behind Liverpool and Manchester City's Title Triumphs and Record Point Totals. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? Hi, David. Really good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. And uh, I normally let my guests introduce themselves. I think I gave a little bit of an intro there. I've got, Listen, I've got it wrong before. And... Uh, as a press pause and re-record okay. again. So um, could you give us a little bit of an insight into yourself, Robin, your background, please? Yeah, so I'll keep it quite short. Um, so I've been with Crystal Palace for five years, uh, obviously in the Premier League, a few different managers there. Um, before that, I was an analyst at MK Dons in the Championship in League One. Uh, I think I was there for five years. So yeah, about coming up to, to 10 years now uh, as an analyst. Um, and yeah, decided decided to jump in and, and write a book. Um, just saying to you off air, a lot of it um, I was able to do because of lockdown, a unique opportunity where got several months without any uh, actual analysis to do um, for, for, uh, for Premier League. Um, and so it gave me that opportunity to get down some ideas and, and go from there. Brilliant. So let's let's start with... Let's start with your background as an analyst. Let's start about uh, Crystal Palace and, and MK Dons before that. I guess, what was your lead up to these roles? How did you get into analysis? Yeah, so um, whilst I was doing my, my degrees, um, I managed to get some experience back when analysis was um, pretty much in its infancy. So it was just very, very basic stuff back then. Um, so that helped me when I graduated. So I was a sports science graduate, as I think a lot of early, early analysts were, um, that helped me, uh, get some, some part-time roles and eventually an internship with the Academy, uh, at MK Dons, um, that eventually turned into a, a job with the first team and, and just got into it through that route. Um, yeah, like I said, analysis was in its infancy back then It's come a very, very long way from those days. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been very, very rewarding as well. That's great. And so, so what did you, what did you study at university? So I studied sport and exercise science, um, with an, had an analysis module. Um, again, I think at the time there were very few actual analysis degrees. Um, I think, uh, a master's had, had cropped up. Um, but no, I think a lot of the skills are applicable between, between the, um, sports science side of things and, and analysis side of things. Um, slightly different uh, subjects that you're analyzing but uh, similar skills and then at palace i mean what, what's your day-to-day role uh, as an analyst there yeah so most of the time is spent um analyzing the opposition so um that means watching well depending on the amount of time you've got maybe depending on the the opposition in particular how well you know them um, could be between five and ten games, um, and cutting that down into into um, sections and aspects of how they play uh, to then discuss with the coaches, um, and then from there putting together the actual team meeting itself uh, for the players on the opposition, um, and then post game analysing that game um, in terms of uh, particular outcomes we're after, but always with a view with the next game in mind as well in terms of what the op- next opposition. Um, requires in, in terms of the game obviously you get some very different oppositions in the Premier League so uh, the last game may not be overly applicable uh, to the next game but, but um, where you can sort of always having that next game in mind uh, so there's, there's two of us um, that work with the first team at Crystal Palace which is actually quite light uh, for a, a, a Premier League club in terms of opposition analysis so we tend to work um, where one analyst does one game whilst the other is preparing for the next game so we alternate alternate games like that to, to share the work. Very interesting. And obviously you've been in the game now as an analyst for, for 10 years now. So one thing that interests me on a, a personal level is the sort of increase in tactical flexibility that we're seeing across the game at the moment. I mean, I guess it's a bit of a two-pronged question. 
have you seen that yourself that there's an increase in that? And then secondly, how do you adapt? If that's true, how do you adapt to that uh, as an analyst? Yeah, I think massively seen that, um, especially maybe in the, the last two or three seasons. Um, I think, yeah, perhaps one of the big things is having different shapes in possession and out of possession. So, you know, perhaps you know, managers vary vastly in terms of how much they want to know. Some want to know every single detail about the opposition, what they did in every single game, every single scenario against different oppositions. Others pretty much just want you to tell them the formation and what they do within it. Um, so straight away, there's a question um, if a team's playing a different shape in and out of possession, for example, um, some teams this season have played 3-5-2 in possession, 4-4-2 out of possession. Which formation do you say that they play? You know, just something as simple as that um, is, uh, can be challenging sometimes. Um, then, yeah, so the formation doesn't tell the full story a lot of the time. You know, a 4-3-3 system can be played in so many different ways. So it, a lot of the time, it's not so much about this is the formation. It's about exactly where the, the player's positioned within that formation. I think that's something we've seen an awful lot of where, um, yeah, being able to describe how a team plays just by the formation um, now often isn't the case. It's, you know, does, does a wide player in the pocket? Does the wide player, I'm sorry, does a wide player play in the pocket? Uh, does a wide player play wide? Um, I think you see a lot of um, positions now, which again, the position of a fullback, can be very, very different. They can be tucked in as a third centre-back. They can be really, really high and wide. You know, those sort of things, those details behind it, a lot of flexibility. Um, the other challenge is predicting that because it's all, it's all right saying this is how they play, but um, the opposition teams obviously have very different requirements between games, how they see you as a team. So, um, for example, just, just dipping into Manchester City, that, um, you know, they're, they're certainly during the seasons I've talked about in the book, so the seasons when they uh, gained their record points, it was very much fullbacks deep, starting deep a lot of the time. But when they played Crystal Palace, who obviously are a team that tend to defend fairly deep in the mid to low block, there's often not a requirement for that. So fullback then plays very high. So um, in fact, this season we played Manchester City, who very, very rarely are a team that puts both fullbacks high and wide in the time of Pep Guardiola. And they did it against us. And we... Um, we, you know, we learned a little bit from the games against them that perhaps only one fullback would, would, would stay deep. It's normally on their right side to deal with Wilfred Zaha on the counter-attack. Um, but uh, we never, we never expected both fullbacks to play high and they turned up and, and did that. So that's a big challenge. It's all right saying this is what they're going to do. This is what they tend to do. So you're always looking for patterns against... Um, the type of opposition that you are looking at games against them again, not just the formation, but the way a team defends. Um, can you try and match that to the game, but then you still get those surprises. Sometimes it can be the availability of a player as well. Um, teams like city, they can change the entire team. So again, um, you prepare for one player being likely to play. Uh, for example, if, if Sterling plays on the right, completely different to if, if Mares plays on the right in terms of the, the left foot, right foot and the different attributes. So, it's all very, very challenging along those lines. So where you can, you're looking for principles of play, patterns that are likely to relate to you, patterns that from the games you've had against them in the past, that's always something interesting against Manchester City in particular. What did what did Guardiola try to change uh, based on your previous game? You, you just sort of educated guesses really um, all the time, but definitely yeah, tactical flexibility uh, is a, a massive thing now. Um, you know, you Brighton, a team that doesn't get many points, but in terms of the ta in terms of the tactical problems they cause you and the difficulty in predicting exactly where they're going to position their players in and out of possession, um, they're extremely difficult. So yeah, um, I would say definitely going back three or four years, it was a lot simpler. In possession tactics weren't as um, they weren't as advanced, I would say. Um, it tended to be more down to the individual players or the broad label of the formation. Um, whereas now, like I said, yeah, um, it, it can be a lot more difficult. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Um, I think it's a great segue as well into talking about the book. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about what 
Manchester City and Liverpool do in and out of possession. And um, also talk about, I guess, I think something that will rear its head a few times in this interview is potentially the formation not being as important, but the principles of play and uh, how these sides are to fulfil that. So, I mean, just again, this book is called Record Breakers. It's the tactics behind Liverpool and Manchester City's title triumphs and record point totals. Um, it's a book telling the story of both of these teams, but also giving a real tactical insight uh, into what they do in all the different moments of the game and breaking it down far more than just, oh, this is what they do in possession. It's, um, it's a really great book and I, I really enjoyed reading it. I think, uh, Rob, what would be a great place to start is why is this book different to what's already out there on the market? Yeah, first of all, thanks very much uh, for your, your kind words about the book. Really glad you like it. Um, yeah, so obviously a lot has been written about these two teams. Um, I'm focusing on the teams when they're, I'm sorry, on the seasons when they won their record points. So uh, for Liverpool, that was 2018-19 and 2019-20. For City, that was 2017-18-2018-19. So uh, I think figures here, City were 198 points across those two seasons and Liverpool were 196. So absolutely unprecedented. you know, you can have the argument, are they the greatest teams of all time uh, in the Premier League? I mean, facts-wise, yes, because simply because of their, their, their points total. So focusing on those those seasons, um, but for me, and already uh, touching it, the really interesting thing uh, in my job is is that comparison of how they play. So these two great teams in the same era, arguably the greatest we've ever seen, uh, both playing versions of 4-3-3, um, but you could argue quite differently. Um, so uh, the idea for the book is to directly compare. Um, so flipping um, flipping between the scenarios on the pitch, so just off the top of my head, so just the fact that City's wingers in those seasons tended to play really, really wide, uh, whereas Liverpool's were the complete opposite. They tended to play between fullback and centre-back as much as possible. So completely different ways of, of, of doing that, um, yet... Um, unbelievable points totals for both teams. So um, the idea that it's that uh, direct comparison. Um, also, what I've tried to do, and I think analysis is moving towards this, and definitely within the game, it's moved towards this, where it's not enough to say this is how they play. You know, in each scenario, this is what they do. You need to you need to be uh, looking at the context for all of that. So again, we've already touched on what they do based on what the opposition do. So a lot of the designs maybe on on the systems that Klopp and Guardiola have, have come up with are with the opposition in mind. I don't necessarily mean so much, you know, are they playing 4-4-2, 4-3-3, etc., playing against those formations, which is relevant, but more how does a back four defend in general? What are, what are the principles of a back four? Uh, what are the spaces we need to occupy? What, what are the opposition players we need to manipulate to free up space for, for other players? So... Uh, in my job, it's very much a case of the discussion with the coaches, by analysing other teams, by looking at what happened last time against these teams. It's all about um, the problems they're going to cause us with that. So not just this is what they do, this is what it means for our right-backs, this is what it means for our uh, holding midfielder. Um, it, it, it's all about that context um, in terms of uh, yeah, the problems they cause and what are the potential solutions. And that's not for any minute to say I've got all the answers at all against them. I mean, the results have been very up and down against those teams. Um, but potential solutions, what could work, what, what do opposition teams do, um, all that discussion around it is what I've tried to get into the book um, uh, in terms of, of how Liverpool and City play, just if that all makes sense. Absolutely. And... I think, I think one thing that, w- that came quite early in the book and I thought was really interesting was your take on, I guess, why Klopp and Guardiola didn't exactly hit the ground running in the Premier League. Um, I wonder if you could um, give an insight into, uh, into why you think that was the case. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I think it's important to say I'm not, I'm not trying to argue in the book that these are the two greatest managers necessarily, or that everything's down to them, or obviously the, the um, spending they've done is, is clearly relevant. Um, what I'm trying to argue is that they got it right in a two-season spell, the likes of which we've never seen before. So the points, so, you know, we've, we've had some great teams with great players, 
you know, your Man United teams of, of the past, Chelsea's uh, under Mourinho, even Conte's Chelsea looked superb for a season. They were never able to sustain it and get as many points as th- these two teams have got. So again, you know, these managers have made mistakes, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say they've got it right for the entire periods they've been at, at, at these two clubs, but for a two-second period, they did get it right. Um, I would say that, uh, certainly in City's case, maybe the complexity of, of, of what Guardiola was trying to implement um, needed time. His principles needed time on the training ground. Obviously, he needed to get players that could do it. I think he inter- inherited, um, especially defensively, a lot of aging players that perhaps weren't suitable for what he wanted to do. Um, even things as simple as I, I think, I think Liverpool have improved a lot tactically, especially in possession. They've become a lot better at um, occupying different spaces, building up with control, varying their, their style of play a little bit. Uh, but also it's as simple as fixing the goalkeeping problem uh, for both teams, really. You know, um, Guardiola made a mistake in terms of um, not so much getting rid of Joe Hart, but his replacement um, literally as sim- simply as could not could not keep the ball out the back of the net, bravo, uh, for a while. And the same with the goalkeepers available to Klopp. Again, he brought Carriers in. Um, they were conceding goals that were perhaps um, um, spoiling all the, the good tactical stuff they were doing, all the good stuff they were doing in possession. Um, simply their goalkeeper wasn't um, wasn't keeping the ball out of the back of the net. It sounds, sounds silly, but something as simple as that. So uh, I'd, I'd say um, those are, are possible reasons. Um, in the, Like I said, um, I think Klopp has definitely improved tactically from that uh, chaotic counter-press as the main tactic to being able to do a little bit of everything. I would say the, the modern Liverpool can do a little bit of everything. Um, and I would also say that uh, with Guardiola, the system he came up with during those record points winning seasons. So you know, your wide wingers, your two high eights, very, very high eights, uh, your fullbacks deep and narrow to help build up, but also to stop that counter-attack, never, well, rarely getting ahead of, of the wide player that was going to counter-attack behind them. I thought that was an unplayable system, at least with the players he managed to put together. I thought it was uh, pretty much unplayable. You knew what they were going to do, but you couldn't stop it because they would just hammer those same patterns over and over again uh, throughout the game. Um, I think before that, in his first season, I think he was tinkering a lot in terms of the system. Um, I think, yeah, he, he there, was, there was a lot more fullbacks higher, um, various different, it was almost like he was trying to, a little bit like the criticism he's had in Champions League games at times. It's almost like every opposition had to have something quite major tweaked um, specifically for that opposition. Whereas I think the system he settled on in those two seasons I'm talking about um, tended to be similar most weeks. It was still tweaks, but tended to be similar. That was a system that's so hard to play against. Um, and I think since then as well, um, he's gone away from that a little bit. Um, perhaps because opposition teams have started to go a lot deeper. So he's thought, right, I need to get at least one of the fullbacks forward now. I need to change something. Constant desire maybe to be unpredictable, to be this manager that can change things all the time. And I just don't think it's the same. I, and I think he's alluded to that a little bit this season. He, he said, um, I think it was December after West Brom, he said, I don't feel this is ours. I don't think like it's the same identity. We were better when the winners were white. And I think he's he's gone back more towards that in the, the last few months. Um, and I just think it's such a genius system that he came up with. That's For me, that's, that's the... Uh, that's when they've been at their most effective. Um, so a long answer, but I would say a number of reasons. Um, and again, it, it, for me, it's all about, this book is all about those two seasons and when they got it right, not perhaps the mistakes they've made before and after those seasons. And I think, um, as you've alluded to already, you know, both teams played in a similar formation, but played in a different style. Um, I guess, I guess this is touching on what we spoke a little bit about earlier, but I'd be interested if you could embellish it a little bit more. What do you think that says about the direction of modern football, where two teams can vary so differently within the same system, yet both notch record points totals in such close proximity to one another? Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, I think, like I said, we've already talked about it um, a little bit. It's, yeah, it's more, it's more about, Looking at looking at the opposition in terms of how they defend, and like I said before, in general, how a team defends uh, within the players they've got, 
how can we make it work uh, with, with the attributes that we've got um, in the team. So it's, it's perhaps more about um, looking at the different aspects of the game. For example, what players do we need to place between the lines and where, who do we need to provide the width, what's most effective for us in terms of who provides the width and just one player, uh, never, never two players wide, both teams always just that one player wide. Um, how many players do we need to build up and who exactly um, do we want, who's, who's the most appropriate player um, or position in our system to build up? And I think the systems all have, each, each position has a, a knock-on effect. So if, for example, uh, so for example, with City, if the wingers are wide, the fullbacks don't need to be wide. So they can play somewhere else. So where do we put the fullbacks? Um, for Liverpool, we're playing our wide players narrow um, in between fullback and centre-back. So someone needs to provide the width. So that's likely to be the fullback. Although um, at times, uh, particularly during these seasons, you had Jordan Henderson making the run wide from the number eight position. So, um, so I think uh, I think managers are certainly looking at um, the game in that context. In our, within our formation, who do we need to occupy what space, um, and what best suits um, what what best suits that? Brilliant. Um- so, I mean, let's let's go into the book in a little bit more depth. And um, so, I mean, by all means, for the listeners who won't have picked up a copy just yet, I mean, it's it's a big book and there's a lot of information in it. And um, obviously, we won't be able to get through everything today. We'll, we'll just touch on it and it will hopefully be an insight that um, will sort of encourage people to go and have a, a closer look. I mean, let's, let's look at both teams, I guess, in the four moments of the game. With, without... Uh, giving us too much info uh, from the book. I wonder if you just give us, I guess, a brief overview of what City looked to achieve in possession. I know that's a difficult question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it is and it isn't. Um, yeah, so I think the major aspects of the City system is this idea of a front five. Um, and I think Perhaps the first time we saw a front five in the Premier League was um, Conte's Chelsea. So we're in a 3-4-3 system, the two high wing backs, um, the two players between the lines, but ready to attack that space between fullback and centre-back and then that central forward. Um, but City have obviously produced it in a different formation like we've touched on already. So those two, so traditionally during these seasons, it was Sterling and Sane most of the time. You've got De Bruyne and, and David Silva really aggressive high starting positions in those those half spaces or pockets. I tend to use both terms. Um, and then Aguero is the forward, but involved in the attack. So again, that's something else with, with modern football that all 11 players are, uh, are involved in the attack now. So the goalkeeper, obviously that's nothing new, but the goalkeeper um, is involved in, in, um, in possession play. But also that forward, his role isn't just to score goals anymore. It's dropping deep when... Uh, required. We've seen it a lot this season with City, obviously playing without forward. Um, but there were there were parallels even with the role that Aguero played in terms of at the right moment he was ready to drop in. Um, so the reason why the front five is so difficult to play against um, in terms of a back four anyway, five is slightly different. So it allows you to to occupy that five um, a lot better. Um, but back four is you've always got that that spare man. So. Um, Attack one side, it's been written, written a lot. Attack one side, switch to the wing on the other side. Um, but I think the big thing playing at City, which perhaps teams over-concentrate on, is blocking those passes inside. And it's really, really important, stopping that supply to, to Silver and De Bruyne. But make this point a lot that obviously Guardiola knows this. They know this is the priority, that, that teams are always going to block those, those pockets first, stop teams from playing on the inside. Um, so a lot of what they've devised and a lot of it comes from the, the front five concept is play wide to the winger and then what happens next? What happens next? So without fail, a fullback will always go out to close down the winger. So a huge part of what they do from there is try and get in that space between fullback and centre-back. So um, that could be done in two predominant ways. So either by when the fullback goes out, a direct run, the classic De Bruyne run, um, between fullback and centre-back for him to smash that, that cross um, early into the box in front of the centre-backs, uh, sorry, between centre-backs and goalkeeper, 
or it can be done by the, uh, the one-two, the give and go, the wall pass, whatever you want to call it. So Silver and De Bruyne will appear um, and uh, they will instantly play a one-two of the winger who will then cut inside into that space. Um, so that is a big part of the system, that front five, and, and stopping the supply to that front five is really, really important. So big thing that, again, it's not, not saying it's necessarily the, the correct solution, but something we always tried to concentrate on was not over-covering narrow and uh, trying to stop supply to the wingers as well. So um, a lot of it would be about um, as soon as our um, call central midfielder, number eight, was able to screen the pass to De Bruyne or Silva, the side of the ball, that was a license for our wide player to try and stop the pass to the wing. So instead of, instead of over-covering and blocking the pocket um, to the extent that um, they were almost literally uh, five yards from the, the midfielder on their inside, trying to stop, trying to get a little bit wider and get on the line of the pass between City's full-back and, and, and winger or centre-back and winger, depending on who was, was playing uh, the pass wide. So I think really, really important um, not to overcover narrow against City uh, because they're after that space um, just on those inside channels uh, between fullback and centre back. Um, so that front five then has implications for the rest of the team. Um, so the number eight playing high means that uh, they need extra players to build up. So that means obviously the fullbacks um, narrow inside, helping with that build up. Um, when they receive it, it almost keeps the opposition team narrow to then be able to go wide to the winger. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the system in a nutshell. There's a lot of variation within that. Um, but I would say build up five and uh, front five is, is key to the system. So a lot of the, a lot of the work against them has to be stopping that supply uh, to the front five. And then, I mean, let, let's look at Liverpool as well. I mean, I think, Terms like the false nine and inverted fullback have become ingrained in the English football vernacular, thanks to Guardiola. However, you also write about three eights. Um, and I say three as in not the number three, as in three, F-R-E-E. Uh, can you give us an overview of this position, how it was used by Liverpool? Yeah. Um, so I would, say, I would say City used the concept as well. Um, I think with with Liverpool, it tended to be more on their right hand side um, because I would say over the years the system was adapted so that Robertson would tend to play a lot higher on the left than Alexander Arnold on the right, simply because Alexander Arnold has such talent in possession in terms of his his passing ability. Um, so with Alexander Arnold deeper and Salah on the inside, that leaves a space on the outside for somebody to provide the width um, and. I think one of the interesting things about this concept is uh, if you can imagine a scenario where Alexander-Arnold is, is fairly deep um, and, like I said, Salah is on the inside. So Salah is pushing that left back on the inside just by his position and forcing him back. Uh, whereas Alexander-Arnold's position when he receives the ball, he's dragging the opposition wide player towards him. So it's creating this massive gap between the opposition wide player and fullback for somebody to fill. So... Henderson would make runs into, the, into that area. And the question for the opposition is, who deals with Henderson? Are you asking the central midfielder to track him all the way to the touchline, in which case you've removed a player from the centre? Perhaps it's a player that isn't particularly comfortable defending out there. Or are you asking the full-back, the left-back, to, to release and, and close down Henderson, which then leaves Salah with a potential 1v1 with the centre-back? Or are you asking the wide player to drop back and deal with Henderson, in which case Alexander-Arnold is left free on, free on the ball, could hit that switch of play to the other side. Um, so it's a really interesting one for me in terms of um, who, who actually deals with Henderson when he's in that position. So Henderson, well, you might say, because De Bruyne will do this as well for Man City, so occasionally when a team is overly narrow against them, De Bruyne will look for that space on the outside. Their winger on that side will make that run off the line to push the fullback in. Uh, City's fullbacks are deep anyway, so they're attracting the wide player. Um, so De Bruyne will make that, that run to the outside. So you could say, is it the ideal position for the likes of De Bruyne and Henderson to, to end up in? Well, actually, you could say those two players probably have good attributes for, for receiving in a wide area, whether it's that 
classic De Bruyne across. Uh, even Henderson used to play as a, a wide player in his younger days um, and a fairly mobile player as well who can carry the ball. But more than that, it's probably the confusion it causes for the opposition and um, make the point that, you know, you, when, you, when you're preparing for these teams, um, you've only got a certain number of days to plan, to whether that's training ground work, whether that's analysis meetings. So it can become a bit information overload for the players in terms of the no, different number of scenarios. Well, if, if they do this, if they do that, um, you're trying to make it as clear as possible. So covering exactly what happens with this movement and just um, obviously the run can be made into different different parts of the pitch in terms of how um, how how high up the run wide is, whether it's slightly deeper, so uh, or the exact positioning of Salah, exact positioning of Alexander Arnold, whether the rest of the back four across, the midfield across, all these little things might influence the decision making. So um, you know, City and Liverpool use these patterns throughout the whole season, the entire season. So they can do these things very automatically, work off each other's movements. Whereas you're preparing for specifics. So all these scenarios you're going through saying, this is the exact solution. You must, you must go with him. You must step up. It, it doesn't work like that on the pitch. It's all, all, all down to different angles, um, how the distances, things like that. So the confusion it causes for the opposition for me makes it a really interesting tactic, but you see these things all across the pitch. So the role of, of Firmino, for example, he's a centre forward, but he doesn't play as a centre forward. He plays as a false nine and that can be, dropping off a few yards, or that can be literally moving all around the midfield to receive. So what's the solution for that? You know, um, and back to what we were discussing before, this, this modern football idea, you know, Salah and Mane don't play as traditional wide players. So what's the solution for that? Is it, are they a centre-back's responsibility? Are they a full-back's responsibility? All these questions are getting asked across the pitch in, in different positions. Um, and the idea of the, the free eight is, is one of them. Um, perhaps a variation that, that City do quite well is um, particularly when they play with a, a left-footed winger and he starts to cut inside with the ball um, taking the fullback in with him De Bruyne will then make that overlap down the outside and for the man tracking him extremely difficult because he's always starting from the wrong side so as the ball's been switched from the other side he's starting from the wrong side so extremely difficult to track um, so all these, all these questions are posed um, and, like I said, finding solutions in the moment, the right solution in the moment, uh, is extremely difficult. Um, so I'd say that's probably, that's probably the concept in a nutshell. Um, that, but it's all within a structure. So um, this, it, the, the idea of a free eight doesn't mean you can just go where, wherever you like. It means that um, every player has to respond to your positioning. So, for example, if the, if the City's winger or Liverpool's uh, if, if Salah has drifted wide or the fullback's high, there's no need for the number eight to go out there. It all has to be done in coordination. Uh, I think that's especially strict with City, where the positioning of the players to the exact yard is absolutely vital. Um, everything that happens with them, all their patterns happen because their teammates help each other in terms of their positioning. So, um, for example, um, before they play wide to a winger, they so often get that run from, um, or they, during the record point seasons anyway, from De Bruyne and Silva to pin that fullback in, keep him narrow, and then on the switch, it's more difficult for the fullback to get out to the winger. So these these relationships are happening all over the pitch, where players are making unselfish runs to give their teammates more time, um, and that's definitely um, how how coached the team in that aspect is is definitely an aspect from which you can judge the influence of a, a manager on the tactics rather than just individuals making their own decisions, doing things all the time. Uh, I'd say with Liverpool, it's a little bit more of a guideline. Um, they're, they're still, their rotations are still structured, but it's a little bit more flexible in, in, in terms of what they, they do, whereas City is just so strict as a starting point, they can then move off each other, but the starting shape is, is normally very, very uh, important. Nice, nice. Um, okay, well, let's look at uh, out of possession and let's I think a good, probably a good place to start is with the press um, I wonder if you could detail I mean obviously again I think you've already highlighted that you know things will change depending on on the teams they're playing against but in terms of principles what are City looking to achieve with their pressing structure yeah so I like to divide pressing into 
well, I mean, you, you could add, probably add goal kicks as well, uh, but definitely into pressing when the opposition has um, comfortable possession and, and you're in your out possession shape um, and the counter press, which is obviously very, very different. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, City's, City's press has definitely changed over the years. Um, perhaps with the arrival of Rodri, where since he's arrived, um, I think there's been slightly less uh, ambition to press with both number eights pressing high. Um, I think they've, they've wanted to keep one of those those deeper, uh, more of a, a four four two type structure. But it has depended a lot on the, the opposition. But back in back in the record points winning seasons, it tended to be more of a four three three press um, where uh, Aguero would cut off uh, the pass between the two centre backs, which was absolutely crucial because it meant that the opposition couldn't then switch play, which meant the entire City team could then move over towards the side of the ball. Um, and then the two number eights would be very, very aggressive. So perhaps one would move on to the centre-back on the ball uh, and the other one would just move across, covering behind uh, onto the, the deep opposition's deepest midfielder. Um, but again, relating to system, I, and, and sorry, yeah, just to, and just to conclude that, City's objective was, was pretty much always uh, to show the team the, the outside, show them to the outside and lock them in that side. Whereas, I'm sure, we'll go on to Liverpool. The objective was the complete opposite, where the wide players would be the ones that pressed really high and narrow, trying to trap the opposition on the inside. So, um, pressing to show inside. I think, um, again, just, just relating to system, I think the counter-press from City is just really, really interesting, simply because, um, touching on these role of the fullbacks again, it's, it's well known that a lot of the reason for keeping the fullbacks deeper um, is to stop that counter-attack. So um, one of the major strategies against City is always to counter-attack and it's very, very hard to counter-attack um, if your wide players are uh, nearer your own goal than uh, City's fullbacks. So they're, they're never caught, City's fullbacks are never caught ahead of the ball. But um, I think it's probably not quite appreciated perhaps from people that don't watch City live in a stadium or uh, have access to the wide angles that we have access to, just how aggressive they are when they're in the final third, when they're attacking the final third. So the fullbacks, okay, there are occasions when they'll make underlaps and, and be able to receive close to the opposition's box and, and actually attack. But a lot of the time you'll see the fullbacks... Um, as City get into a position where they're going to have an end product, their job is done in possession and they are all about getting as tight as they can to the wide player and stopping that first pass into the wide player um, in an attempt to, to, to lock the team in and stop them from, from getting out, pinning them in their own third. But um, So the organisation helps them a lot with that. But um, what people don't realise is just how aggressive City's centre-backs are. If the, especially if the opposition is playing with one forward, which they tend to do against City. So um, we have terrible trouble in that we're a team that defends quite deep. And if, if, we're, if we can't win the ball back, um, sort of outside our own third, we get completely locked in a lot of the time. We're, we can be a, a good counter-attacking side with the players we've got. Um, and one of the reasons is that they stop that out ball so well in that you know, your forward can end up defending quite deep in, inside his own half, perhaps uh, shielding um, or back back in those seasons, Fernandinho, maybe Rodri now. And he's often the out ball, but City centre-backs will go one in front, one behind. And the one in front will literally track that forward almost all the way into the opposition third. So they're incredibly aggressive from these situations. So... Um, that organisation combined with their reaction and the players around the ball, sprinting at the player on the ball, makes it unbelievably difficult to get out um, uh, when you win the ball back. So again, a lot of that is system related in terms of uh, the wingers wide, meaning that the fullbacks don't need to be uh, high and wide and they stop that counter attack. So, and then obviously you touched on it at the beginning of that answer as well, where you spoke about Liverpool. So, um, obviously that's a difference with you spoke about Salah and Mane uh, pressing to show insight from a wider position so I wonder if you could detail that yeah I, I find this one of the most fascinating things because I don't think there's another team that does it as consistent, consistently as that in that system where they're constantly leaving the fullback spare um, but 
no one seems to expose them with it, or at least you know during the season I'm talking about, no one no one seems to expose them with it. Uh, I think it's fascinating the way teams watching watching teams and how they try and get out of that press because all the time they're thinking, well, just get the ball to our fullback. Um, I think that the role of Firmino is is probably quite underrated in that, in that he does an unbelievable job on the opposition's deepest midfielder. If there's two, it's a little bit more complicated, but even, even there, um, he does a pretty good job at, at splitting the two central midfielders. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he does an unbelievable job there, stopping that pass into midfield. Um, and then, yeah, I've touched on Marnie and Salah uh, pressing the centre-back from the outside. Um, yeah, so... If you think about how a how a back four traditionally is set up, it's sort of a, a U shape in terms of two flat centre backs, uh, full backs on the touchline, not too high, and the line they press on is between that centre back and full back. So stopping the, the ball to the full back and showing showing inside, but with Firmino there and with no, one of the, one of the number eights ready to jump if that pass is played inside. Um, but uh, system works behind it in that as soon as it goes to the fullback and you'll see Klopp on the sideline, that's that cue um, to then go and trap that team out wide. So although they're trying to show inside, when it does escape to the fullback, it's red alert, it's, it's, we've got to go and deal with it. So um, times Liverpool's fullbacks will fly out depending on high, how high the opposition fullback is. But the roles of the number eights are really, really impressive. So see Liverpool play with number eights of a style, a, a physicality, that can cover behind Mane and Salah. So, you know, the likes of Juan Alderman and Henderson, incredibly good at, at sprinting out. And because of Firmino's job doing that, that deepest midfielder, uh, that eight hasn't had to jump a lot of the time, which means they can then cover behind Mane and Salah. So it, it allows those two to be higher with the fact that the eight can be slightly deeper because of the role of, of, of Firmino. So number eight will sprint out a lot of the time and the midfield will shift across and they'll deal with them that way. Um, I think how teams have tried to manipulate this situation is, is really, really interesting. So um, centre-backs being closer together, so making it harder for Mane and Salah to come and get them. So if, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, for example, ahead of, of a pass from left centre-back to right centre-back, um, right centre-back just, just coming in five yards to make the distance bigger uh, for, for Salah and Mane. Um, to, to jump onto them um, and at times giving a bit more depth as well. So increasing that distance between themselves and the fullback. So if they do receive it, there's a bigger distance for Mane inside to cover to be able to actually block that pass. Um, other things uh, teams have done is for if Mane and Salah, sorry, Mane, Mane and Salah want to press on that line, the fullback gets out of that line and comes deeper. So almost forms a, a three by um, coming almost in line with the centre-back on, on his inside, just to, to make it a lot harder for Manny and Salah to get on that line. If they do move high early to block that pass, then it opens up the space on the inside. Um, another strategy is a bounce pass. So um, putting two central midfielders in either side of Firmino um, and looking to play a first-time pass um, from the central midfielder out to the fullback. So the centre-back uh, plays into the central midfielder and immediately, as the pressure comes from behind them, they whip that ball out on the inside of Mane Hinsala um, into the fullback, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think other things that can be favourable is if, for example, a right footer is playing a left-sided centre-back because um, if you're a left-footer, and you're opening out to play a pass uh, onto your, your stronger foot, you're opening out into the pressure. Whereas if you're right-footed and you're receiving, for example, if you're, yeah, if you're um, for example, Lewis Dunk for Brighton, a right-footer play on the left, the pressure from Salah's coming from your outside, you can take a touch with your left foot and whip that pass with your right foot um, around the approaching player uh, rather than having to open out to play the pass um, or having to play it on your weaker foot. So really, really interesting the way teams have, have manipulated the Liverpool press. Uh, obviously, the massive advantage for Liverpool is that Mane and Salah don't have to uh, track fullbacks deep. Obviously, um, 
there's uh, times when they do have to do it. For example, the ball's the opposite side. They might have to drop back in. But for the purpose of pressing, um, they're able to, to stay high, use their energy higher up and be closer to the goal when they win it back. Um, so teams will press at times like that. They'll, they'll, other teams, that is. Um, against teams that build up with a three, teams will press like that. But I don't think anybody other than Liverpool have managed to master that press with the wide players so narrow, leaving the fullback spare um, and use it to their advantage rather than being exposed by it. I think I think a good a good place for us to sort of tie this all together um, is approaching transitions. I think focusing on defensive transition and talking about the counter press, where uh, which you speak about in the book uh, for obvious reasons. And I think you talk uh, about both Guardiola and Klopp potentially coming together a little bit more in terms of what they want to achieve with that counter press. Um, could you detail the counter press for us? I, I guess of of both teams. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, like, like you've alluded to there, I, would, I wouldn't say they're massively different. Perhaps, perhaps those managers would say they're very different in, in terms of uh, how they do it and what they want to achieve. And in, in my opinion, they're not. Uh, probably for City, like I said before, it's probably a bit more about the organisation. So sort of uh, where's, where's, where are the players how do we make sure we've got enough players behind them? Whereas Liverpool, it's perhaps a little bit more about here's the ball, let's just vacate opposition. So Robertson, for example, will just go and sprint out after the ball quite often. He's not worried about what's behind him. Um, so in, in that aspect, it might differ. Uh, perhaps in terms of what they want to achieve from it. I mean, Klopp obviously famously says about the, the counter press being the, the best playmaker. So they're actively looking to score a goal from it. City are as well. But perhaps for City, it's more about winning the ball back as far from their own goal as possible because they're not particularly good at defending deep um, in terms of perhaps some of the personnel they've got. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, both teams are trying to achieve the aim of dominating the game as well. You know, Klopp's become a lot more, I want to be the protagonist, I want to, I want to dominate possession. Obviously, that is a massive aim of Guardiola as well. So... From an opposition point of view, um, these games can become incredibly demoralising because you can't get the ball off these teams. Uh, it's wave after wave of attack. Then you win it back and you give it back to them immediately. And then people, then players just start to lose their heads a little bit. Maybe they, they don't quite lose a bit of concentration. They get frustrated. And then suddenly someone switches off and you can see the goal. So I think that's a, it's a huge part of what they do in terms of grinding an opposition down. You know, um, you're making them defend for long periods and then they can't get up the pitch uh, when when um, when they actually win it back. I, I, I think term, it's sort of, oh, let, a team, their strategy was to counter-attack and, and that's how, they, you know, they wanted their strategy. Um, I think a counter-attack has to be coordinated. It has to be, it has to be a clear plan in what's the out ball, uh, who runs where, um, exactly how is it going to work? Because if you can imagine uh, wins ball back, he's got very, very limited time to know what he's going to do with it because he's getting pressed from all angles. And a big part of the counter press is the players near, nearest the ball, um, getting around it from all sides. So, for example, um, City's, City's pivot, the holding midfielder, will go and press in front because he's got that protection from at least one of the centre-backs behind um, getting in front of the forward. So he won't, he won't try and screen, he'll go and press in front. You've got very, very limited time. Um, and it's probably only a split second where you can actually lift your head and look at the options. So if, if what's happening ahead of you, um, if, if you, if you don't see exactly what run the striker is going to make um, when you lift your head, huge problem because where do you put the ball? So you've only got a split second to make, make the decision. Um, so I think a, a, an actual counter-attacking strategy needs to be a clear plan. And, and like I said, against City, one of those goes simply because you can't counter-attack with the wide player between fullback and centre-back because the fullback is protecting that, that space and he's tight to you, so it's very hard to get away. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it needs to be coordinated, it needs to be planned. Obviously, you can't plan to the exact detail. And I would also, but I would also say that's the same with the count itself that um, 
I think Klopp said this before, he can't tell a player exactly where to run when they win the ball back. It all depends on exactly exactly where they are. With City, maybe the the more consistent structure in possession means they do tend to find themselves in similar situations when they lose the ball. Um, but it's more about that, that intense pressure and not worrying about leaving space behind you. Can we win it as far back away from our own goal as possible? And we'll worry about what happens if they get beyond us later. Obviously, there's the classic tactical foul, which, which definitely occurs uh, in those situations. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say that. That probably recovers that in terms of the comparison and and, and similarities and differences. Brilliant, um, Robert. I mean, I think I think it's just so refreshing to hear. You know, you're someone who works in football twenty four seven, and it, I think it's so obvious listening to you speak how passionate you are just about about the game. And hopefully, to anyone listening, you can hear just. I mean, the amount of immense detail that Robert's gone into just in this podcast with regards to both of these systems. And uh, let me tell you, there is, there is so much more in the book. I mean, we, we probably have to do it over a series of podcasts. So um, highly recommend you go and check out uh, this book by Robert Weaver, um, Record Breakers. And uh, Rob, is, is it available now on Amazon and all other good bookstores or yeah, it's, it's available to pre-order now. It's out on June the 7th. So, uh, yeah, what's that 10 days or so. Um, yeah, but it's, 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 yeah, it's available on Amazon and, and other, other book, bookshops as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. I mean, listen, thank you so much for coming on and talking. This has been fascinating. And uh, hopefully uh, people will listen to this and uh, go and check out that book. But I really think that this podcast requires repeat listeners because there is there is so much information uh, here to take on board so yeah. um thank you thank you <laughs> I, so much rob for, for coming on really appreciate it no problem yeah i think it's uh it's quite difficult to get across maybe some of the concepts uh without being able to show them whether that's video or or um sort of a you know, tactics board or, or diagram it, it's perhaps a little bit difficult to explain so i hope i've not been uh too vague in some of the things I've said, you know, uh, like I said, it's a little bit difficult without having tools in front of you, um, maybe, and maybe for the listener to process as well. Not at all, not at all. I think you did a fantastic job. Um, thanks so much, Rob, and uh, to everyone else, thank you very much for listening.